<clears throat> morning, gentlemen. Got the microphone working this morning. Um, I have a song for you that I'm um, excited to play, but I would not have played this um, unless um, I had gone um, to the movies with uh, my dear bride Friday night. Uh, last week was birthday week, and thank you for the uh, singing of um, uh, happy birthday. I'm still trying to recover. That was a traumatic moment. Uh, but thank you. Uh, I was in the wilderness. Uh, but February the 5th is Audrey's birthday. February the 6th is my birthday. February the 7th is Carla's birthday. And the 8th of March is Carla's birthday. I mean, I mean, Abigail's birthday. So we're kind of five, six, seven, and eight, uh, one month later. So Carla and I went out to dinner uh, Friday night, and we went to see a movie that I would strongly, strongly, strongly encourage every man in here to see, Just Mercy. How many have seen that? Uh, absolutely fabulous. Um, um, it'll bring you to tears. Um, it's a very moving um, story uh, based on a true story. And the song that I'm going to play for you this morning is a familiar song, I would think, to most everybody, and it plays a prominent role in the movie. And um, um, I was in tears listening to this in the theater, um, may bring me to tears this morning, but certainly is a song that many of us have heard, and it's a song that we need to remember and need to know every day, especially uh, when we're walking uh, through the wilderness. May you hear the voice of God this morning, The Old Rugged Cross by Alan Jackson. On a hill far away <coughs> old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I cherish the old rugged Till my trophies at last I lay down And I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown To that old rugged cross I will ever be true It's shame and reproach gladly bear Then he'll call me someday To my home far away Where his glory forever I'll share so I'll cherish the old rugged cross 
Till my truth is at last I lay down. Yeah, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Yeah, I will cling to the Change it someday for a crowd. Amen, amen, amen. Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith. Act like men. <clears throat> Be strong. Ah! Going through puberty this morning. Again. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. Follow with me as we read our opening introduction paragraph. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? Do we have eyes to see? Do we have ears to hear? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust Him, we, He must present us with a moment of crisis and since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, then we can trust Him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. Wilderness. What's the point? What's the point? And if you can't answer that question, then uh, the wilderness will, will be nothing more than a cruel uh, trick or messing with you by God in your own heart. God's just messing with me. Mm -mm, no. Somehow, as painful as it is, God is loving you and loving me in that wilderness experience. Hard to see. As the scripture says, sometimes life is like living in a fog. You can't see for all the mist and fog around you. But one day, it'll all be cleared, and we will see, and he will know me, and I will know him fully. The paraphrase of 2 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13. 
Pick up your pen. Let's go to work. Three questions. Three questions. Question number one, what question would you ask God about your suffering? What, what question have you maybe never really formulated? Write it down about a wilderness experience, about your own struggle in the wilderness. What would you want to ask God? We did a series, I don't know, three or four years ago um, on uh, great questions make great men. Uh, you never grow beyond your questions. And when we're not asking questions, we're not growing. Um, you're bored. You're passive. Um, ask a question. Ask a question to God. And the question that I would pose to you this morning that we're going to try to tease out in the few minutes we have is, what's the point? That's the question that I would ask God, that I would want you to ask God. God, what, what's the point of this? What, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And I assure you, that the wilderness experience that you're going through and your friends are going through has intentional and deliberate objective by God. It is not random. God is not a random God. I mean, think about that. I mean, I mean, I, I, I can't find the words to make that more profound. It, it's, it's profound. I didn't come up with that. But it's like, it's real. It's intentional. And it, yes, it may seem incredibly cruel. But most men who have submitted to God, when I ask them after they've gone through that wilderness experience and they've seen the fruit of it, and you ask them, would, would you change it? And usually the response is a man who's walking with God will say, well, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I wouldn't change it. There's too much fruit on that tree. Too much fruit on that tree. Second question. This is huge. This is an accountability question. This is the kind of question that you want to um, ask yourself standing in front of the mirror. Has suffering helped you to trust God? Has suffering helped you to trust God? I mean, standing in front of the mirror, I have to tell you of my latest mirror experience. I'm, I'm staying with Mark. I love my brother Mark. And Mark is remodeling a house, um, and his house is all to hell right now. And I'm staying with it. And you're not saying anything. And I, I mean, you know, I'm not criticizing. I'm just, I'm just reporting. And so, uh, you know, there's running water in the bathroom, but only in the bathtub. And so this morning, the way I shaved is I sat down on the toilet backwards uh, with the lid. And there's a little mirror on the back of the toilet. And the only water is in the bathtub. So I've got the water running in the bathtub, in the mirror, and I'm straddled in my underwear. I know this is quite a sight to imagine. And I'm, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm shaving with that mirror sitting on the back of the toilet. 
And after I finished shaving and brushing my teeth, I was a little cramped up. It was hard to get up. But I got it done. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm a, I'm a cheap renter. I'm a cheap renter. Exactly. So I'd like to think that I'm trusting God a lot more right now, Mark, uh, after, after that experience. Exactly. Yeah. Crappy shave. That's right. Third question. Third question. Who do you know that's in the wilderness right now? I was telling my good friend Charles, I, I said, you know, this whole series is, is has kind of been the experience of, you know, you know how when you buy a car and it just seems like nobody has a car like that. And then you buy that car and it's like everybody's got a car like that. You see it everywhere, you know. It, this series is kind of like that. It's like, you know, I know, you know, a lot of people are going through hard times. So it's like, wow. You know, we're going through the wilderness, talking about the wilderness, people in suffering. It's just like, ain't everybody suffering? And the answer is, yeah, everybody. Everybody's in the wilderness in a certain sense. Two two people that I would recognize um, this morning that, I, that I'm aware of. Um, um, good uh, friend Jeff Rickles. Jeff's not here because he's probably down in Spanish Fort. Uh, his 67-year-old brother lost his battle with brain cancer. Um, and um, we love Jeff. And Jeff was uh, here every Thursday morning. Um, my connection uh, through Jeff is through... Barrett or to Barrett. Barrett is the son. And I've been sitting with Barrett uh, for a couple of years uh, now, and he's part of our uh, men's community down in Fairhope. And uh, he loves his daddy. And, you know, Barrett's the age of my daughter's 30, 32, something like that. And he's lost his dad. And um, on my way home today, I'll stop in and give Barrett a big hug. Um, but it's been a long, hard battle when you love your dad so much and you have to stand by and watch him slowly die. Bear it. The other, the other wilderness uh, situation that I'm um, connected to in some form, I've gotten several calls and trying to help as best I can, and Greg's very much a part of this, the Jake Presley uh, family out in Clinton, and most of you, I'm, I'm sure, have seen the report of this, the tragic, tragic fire where Jake, the dad, lost his wife and five children, right? Is it five or six? Six, yeah. Six babies, a wife. And Jake uh, is a part of a, um, a community that I'm tied to um, um, through some of the bikers, and Jake was a big biker, and and the biking community has reached out uh, to me to, uh, to help them deal with this um, because Jake was such an important part of their community. Wilderness. People are going through it. You're going through it. Have gone through it. Will go through it. What do we do? I you to turn over to Numbers chapter 13. <coughs> Numbers chapter 13, into the wilderness. What's the point? What's the point? God 
rescues his people. He brings them out of Egypt in bondage. And what the Lord does um, is he brings them out into the um, wilderness, having promised them uh, the land flowing with milk and honey uh, that um, he had promised to their forefathers. But the Israelites were convinced that they could not oust the current inhabitants of the land, even though God told them that they could. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until the old guys died off. Got a good friend that said, you know, there's a lot of problems that Wright and Ferguson will solve. And sometimes that's what has to happen. The old guys just have to die off. And uh, the intent of God in putting um, the Israelites in the wilderness was just simply this. Trust me. Trust me. I mean, what if in the midst of your wilderness experience, you walk out in your front yard and there's not a real estate sign out there. There's just a sign that says somehow got planted in your yard. Trust me. I love you, Jesus. Now, I know that in the midst of a wilderness experience, you could see that. I would see that in the midst of my own pain, and I might walk out there and just tear the doggone thing up and and stomp on it because I'm so hurting and so angry. I've been there. And God understands that. There, there is nothing that God can't handle, even a clenched fist shaking at him. He understands as a loving father would. So he takes them into the wilderness and for 40 years they wandered around. And Moses, their leader, does something um, to prepare them to move over the Jordan River. Follow with me as we read Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. When Moses sent them off to scout out Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and then into the hill country. Look the land over. See what it's like. Assess the people. Are they strong or weak? Are they few or many? Observe the land. Is it pleasant or harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or fortified with walls? And the soil, is it fertile or barren? Are there forests? And try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there. This is the season for the first ripe grapes. And with that, they were on their way. They scouted out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob, toward Lebo Hamath. Their route went through the Negev desert to the town of Hebron, Ahaman, Shishiah, and Telemiah. Descendants of the giant Anak lived there. Hebron had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. When they arrived at the Eskol Valley, they cut off a branch with a single cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry it slung on a pole. Wow. They also picked some pomegranates and figs. They named the place Escal Valley, Grape Cluster Valley, because of the huge cluster of grapes they had cut down there. 
And after 40 days of scouting out the land, they returned home. 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days of scouting. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they reported the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told the story of their trip. That's getting ready to change right here. It's like, wow, show and tell is over. Now let's read the report. We went to the land to which you sent us, and oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Amalekites are spread out in the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Mosquito Bites, hold the hill country. And the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. It's too much. It makes me think, you know, of that scene in Braveheart, you know, and, and the British are all up on the hill and the peasants are out there with their sticks and, 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 the, and the two little guys, you know, that one little guy looks over and says, there are too many. There are too many. Let's go home. And about that time, William Wallace comes riding over the hill. You know, too many. I love this. William Wallace shows up. Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. My favorite Bible verse uh, relative to Caleb is actually at the end of Joshua. And, of course, they've been in the promised land. And uh, Caleb is 84 years old. And God tells Joshua and Caleb that they've not finished the job. Uh, that, that they first uh, were assigned to. He says, you've not cleaned out the hollers, uh, is the way we would say it at East Tennessee. You know, There's still these Amalekites and Mosquito Bites and Jebusites still roaming around. You've not cleaned them out. And Caleb, I love this. Caleb's, uh, he's 84 years old. He says, you know, Joshua, we need to finish this, and I want that hill right over there, and it's where the Amalekites live, and they were the, they were the fero most ferocious. And it's kind of like Caleb, Caleb said, you know, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm good one more time as I ever was. And that's basically what Caleb is saying right here. I'm going to trust God. Guys, I really believe that we are put on this earth to be ant-like. And ants are workers. We're, we're to be worker bees. We are to take the land. Are you living your life in a maintenance form? I don't believe in retirement. I don't believe in it. I believe that there is a time that you retire from what you've done and you have the party. My good friend Phil Dixon just had a marvelous retirement party. But I sat with Phil last Thursday and he ain't quitting. I don't believe in it. It's like Phil is busy. Building the kingdom of God. He's now got time freed up. He doesn't have to do what he'd been doing for years. Take that next hill. Now listen to this. 
But the others said, we can't attack these people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scattered out of the land from one end to the other, and it's, it's, it's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw the Nephilim giants, the Anak giants come from the Nephilim. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers, and they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. Yeah, really, man? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in kingdom building. I love that passage, actually, the way it reads in your study Bible. It, it, they, they say that in the study Bible. It says, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, does anybody have a quote? You guys are like grasshoppers. Where does the grasshopper idea come from? You know where it comes from? It comes from inside their head. Who knows? Maybe the giants were scared of them. You know, that's that's that group of people that killed that big giant years ago in, in uh, 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 Goliath. You know, that big giant was even bigger than we are. And, and, and one guy killed him. I guarantee they knew that story. The whole community was in the uproar, wailing all night long. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The entire community was up was in on it. Why didn't we die in Egypt? Have you ever felt like that? Just kill me now. I'm, I'm, I'm not walking through this. This is way too hard. I didn't sign up for this. It's just, I just want to die. Or in this wilderness, why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives and children are about to become plunder. Why don't we just re head back to Egypt? And right now, I mean, really, dude, going back to Egypt? That's crazy. But I've been there. You've been there. I just wish it could be the way it once was. Dude, it's never going to be the way it once was. It wasn't even the way it was once it was the way you think it once was. You're making stuff up in your head. Soon they were all saying to one another, let's pick a new leader. Let's head back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their face in front of the entire community and gathered in emergency session. Guys, huddle up. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust God. The purpose of our suffering is to elicit from us the phrase, we can do it by leaning on Him. Because our suffering's purpose, what's the point? Is to teach us to walk by faith. Walk by faith. God promised victory. God will never lead us where His grace cannot provide for us or His power cannot protect us. Do you believe that? God will never lead us where His grace cannot provide for us or His power cannot protect us. The Israelites had seen the powerful hand of God at work during the plagues, miracles, crossing the Red Sea, yet they walk by sight, not by faith. Hebrews eleven six, we walk by faith. We walk by faith. Have you ever really considered that seriously? Or did you just kind of come to Jesus and start going to church and get you a new Bible and start reading your Bible? And guys, this is real. It's like walking by faith is real. 
I'm going to get up every morning, put my feet on the floor in the middle of this hard time, and I'm going to trust God as best I know how. I'm going to live in community and have guys around me that care about me and that I can talk to. Uh, a couple guys joined us last night with Marek and heard from one of the guys, and he's going through a difficult time, but he, but he gave clear, clear testimony that he is well surrounded by men in the community, and he wouldn't be able to get through this if that wasn't true. That's called walking by faith, gentlemen. I'm going to trust God through the wilderness. I want to show you a clip that I think illustrates so much of what wilderness experience is like. You know, we've been using, <coughs> excuse me, we've been using uh, the Band of Brothers as kind of our case study. Certainly what happened um, in Europe um, at Normandy um, and even uh, beyond that in, in the Battle of the Bulge and, and others that the um, uh, Easy Company were a part of. Uh, is such a picture of true wilderness experience, a kind of wilderness that most of us in this room will never experience. But what if the wilderness that we go through was such that we kind of knew that when we got up that morning that we were going to be shot at and we were going to be headed behind enemy lines? The clip that I'm going to show you is. Um, the uh, paratroopers being flown behind enemy lines in order to drop behind enemy lines and head back toward the beach to get the bad guys from the backside while the beach guys were getting them from the front side. It's such a metaphor, I think, a picture of being prepared to be shot at, uh, being willing to die for a cause. Praise God that those men, our grandfathers and our fathers, understood what the point was. It was freedom. Watch this. Mm. Mm. What's the point? Did you really think it was going to be easy? Again, our fathers and our grandfathers, <clears throat> the greatest generation, went through what they went through on days like that so that you and I could be here this morning. God is not a random God. He takes us through horrible times. And there's a point to it. And part of the point is that He wants us to grow up. Suffering leads to growth. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? Again, <laughs> you've got to answer that question. No, I don't want to grow. I just want the pain to stop. I want to go back to Egypt. It's hard. It's about growth. Ephesians chapter 4. Read Ephesians chapter 4 starts out, and the Apostle Paul just writes these Ephesians. He says, you know, so much is going on in your life so that you can grow up. And then he says over in verse 16, he goes on over, and he says, you know, God's given the church gifts, gifted men, so that you can have resources that'll help you grow. But the point is to grow. 
And you can either be ruined or you can grow by the experiences that you go through. Both images of a furnace or a gymnasium is used in Scripture. And it reveals that suffering can lead to ruin or growth. Fire in the furnace can kill and gymnasiums can severely injure. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. The same traumatic experience can ruin one person and make another person stronger and even happier. Now, it's a process that doesn't happen overnight. But there is fruit in suffering. And there's many kinds of suffering. There's not just one kind. The Bible, uh, we don't believe in a reductionistic faith. Simple answers, trite answers are meaningless. Our suffering is rich and multi-layered. Tim Keller does a great job in his book on suffering of talking about four kinds of suffering. And I'd invite you to just write this out uh, in a simple way. If you can find a little spot on your notes, I think this little chart will, will help you. There's four kinds of suffering. And each kind of suffering is intended to help us experience growth in a particular area. The, fir the first kind of suffering that we go through is kind of self-induced. You know, I, um, I call, well, I can't, I can't say that uh, on this. That, uh, I have a word that you have a word. It's, it's, it's dumb. It's foolish. You know, it's, it's the dumb kind of suffering. It's like, I was stupid. I, I need to acknowledge I made a bad, bad decision. That's on me. I love watching sporting events, as you do. The guy drops a pass, and he'll often, you know, he'll do that. You know, head back to the huddle. And he's like, oh, that's on me. Uh, it was a good pass. That was on me. Sometimes you need to just pat your chest and say, that's on me. But the point of that kind of suffering, when we make foolish decisions, and we all do that, is for us to grow in this. Repentance. Because if you don't repent, what are you going to do? You do the same thing again. You know, did you learn anything? It's like, I'm not going to do that again. I've got to gain control over that area of my life. That addiction issue has got, I've got to go to treatment. I've got to get some help. I'm way too isolated. I've got to get some guys around me. I need help. I don't want to be left alone, left to my own devices, because I'm just going to make the same mistake again. Um, and then there is betrayal. And and I call this kind of the drive-by. You know, you're not the one that's suffering. Who's suffering? It's the innocent person that got shot by your waywardness. It's betrayal. You betrayed your wife, your kids. And this is where we have to grow. In forgiveness, seeking forgiveness, 
hoping for forgiveness, even being able to receive the forgiveness of ourself. Now, again, I've said this a number of times here before, but I do not believe it is possible to forgive yourself. I don't think that's possible. And the reason I say that is because that uh, paradigm kind of puts you in the role of God, does it not? And nowhere in Scripture are we instructed to forgive ourselves. What we're instructed to do relative to forgiveness is to forgive as we have been forgiven. You know how you get forgiven? You bow the knee to somebody who has the authority to forgive you and grant grace. And when we understand that we are capable of doing anything that anybody else has done to us, actually, we could actually do worse than that which has been done to us. Then all of a sudden, somehow forgiveness is much more accessible. As long as we hold on to some sort of grandiosity, and we keep saying uh, literally, uh, verbally or non-verbally, oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. Oh, yeah, you would. Oh, yeah, you would. You'd do worser. You would do worser. But you can't forgive out of a grandiose position. Um, you can't receive forgiveness when you don't need it in that grandiose position. It's like forgiveness is received when you lay prostrate before the Lord and you're humbled and God gives grace to the humble. Betrayal. And then there's that third kind. And this is oftentimes called complicated grief. It's loss. And there's no doubt that our brother, um, Jake Presley, is going through just a horrible grief. There's no doubt. And what grief does in all cases is it moves us to grow in understanding where comfort and hope is in the Lord Jesus and in the gospel. And we don't understand what's the point, what's the point, what's the point. Again, the point is always the glory of God and my growth. That's the answer to that question, the glory of God and my growth. God's growing me up painfully. And then finally, there's just the mystery. And this would be just the type of growth um, that Job was confronted with. And this is, this is where, in that mystery, that we are invited into an honest wrestling type of growth. Job wrestled with God. He wrestled with God. He just felt like that God had, had uh, somehow gotten the wrong guy. And yet, even in the, in the middle of his dialogues with his buddies that were uh, convinced that he had done something wrong, Job says, though he slay me, I'll trust him. I'm going to trust him. And yet he wrestled, and God gave him a hearing. And God said, I've got two questions for you. First question, Job, where were you when I created the world? You know? And Job was humbled by that question because he had been kind of putting himself in the role of God. And then the second question that Job 
was asked by God, <coughs> excuse me, as uh, God asked Job, since when do you get to judge what I do? Who put you in charge? It's like God confronted Job with just the mystery of his sovereignty and without apology basically said, I'm in charge and you're not. And Job could have clenched his fist and said, well, I don't like it. And I'm not buying into this. But what did Job do? He bowed the knee and he surrendered. And he repented and he trusted God. And God restored everything to him. It doesn't always work out that way. It worked out that way for Job except for his wife. Obviously, he couldn't. He didn't bring his wife back from the dead. Guys, there is no random suffering in this room or outside of this room. The wilderness is real. We would never want to minimize anybody's wilderness experience. We want to be very respectful of that. But God always makes a way. It's not random. I am so comforted by the sovereign kingship of the Lord Jesus. And the safest place for me to be under whatever circumstance I'm going through is a bowed knee before King Jesus. The bowed knee before King Jesus. The bowed knee before King Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you uh, so much for your guidance, for your wisdom for your comfort and care um, in the wilderness. I pray for every man in here uh, right now, especially that's going through the wilderness, that's in that perplex, perplexing place. Pray this morning even for Jake Presley and his uh, family and friends, and pray for Barrett Rickles and the whole Rickles family. We love you.